WGR Sports Radio 550 presents. We got at Nate Geary Sports. And uh, Nate says, Merry Christmas to everyone except for Tom Brady, who is probably watching his own documentary with his family this morning. Sports Talk Saturday. We were watching the highlights of last year's Super Bowl, which we won, but we weren't watching (laughs) the documentary. Does Nate actually play sports? Emotional damage. On WGR. Good? Not little jets. He died of emotional damage. Sports Radio 550. All right. Good morning. Welcome to Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary here in my normal seat. Zach Jones on the other side of the window. I've got Red Bull in my hand. I am... um, If my energy seems low, I apologize. I am working through... Some serious neck pain this morning. I woke up my uh, my neck all jacked up, all locked up, can barely move. Uh, it has taken all of the life and all of the soul and energy out of my body. But here I am for you, the people, showing up and talking sports anyway because I care a lot about you, all of you. I care so much that I ripped myself out of bed this morning, uh, went to Rite Aid to go get a number of topicals and ingestibles and Red Bull. I'm hoping the Red Bull is really the trick here, though, for me. Red Bull's always the trick. Red Bull does – if it gives me wings, it should give me a functioning spine, correct? That's exactly how it works. I think that's how it works. Sabres Development Camp. Seems like it's a lit time if you're on Twitter. I've been seeing – I've been seeing a lot of highlights from the shootouts. Been pretty remarkable. Some of the moves, some of the saves. Uh, Jack Quinn, pretty good. Seems decent. Has no reason to be there. Seems pretty good. J.J. Paterka, seems pretty good. Uh, who else we got in there that, uh, that's that been standing out? Peyton Krebs, obviously his passing is very, very good. Skate, skating really hard. He's also being a complete pest in front of the goal. Anytime there's like a stoppage of player, like, you know, they're kind of passing the puck around, he's there. He's been a total pass. Devin Levi and Eric Portillo both just yeah, exceptional. Listen, I, you know, I, I respect Levi's decision to go back to college. He should be playing. I don't like it. In the AHL yeah, next I, year. I respect the decision. Not a fan of Arguably, it. Arguably, I, I could make the case that he should probably have started the year in the AHL this year and then been in the big leagues, like at some point this year. He, I, I'm, you know, what I'm fascinated with after, you know, watching him. He, and seeing how he's handled himself, even in interviews, I am going to be really curious now. His, I think, probably last season in college, I'd be stunned if he goes back again. How he is going to deal with the absurd expectations oh, that yes. will mount as the year goes on. Yes. I think he's already the best goaltending prospect this team's had since Miller. I don't even really think it's close. Yeah. But he will start, and I mean, today's save at the three-on-three tournament. I, if, if you haven't seen it, go on the Sabres Twitter. It's stupid. Just you'll go prob- on Twitter. Yeah, you'll see. You'll it. probably see it on SportsCenter tomorrow or later today. It's it's very Dominic Hasek esque. That's kind of the save you see where he's just flailing around and just somehow comes up with it. But he's going to deal with some absurd expectations from yeah. yours truly here. I will probably say <laughs> something dumb around January. I won't apologize for it. It's just no, going to happen. I also won't be apologizing no. for my overexcitement. Exactly. But it's just it's. I watched his interview yesterday with the media because, I mean, you can listen to it, but I I always do prefer watching stuff like that because you can really tell how a player feels. 
and he is just as cool as a cucumber. He's just enjoying yeah. the ride. He likes being in the city. Um, I will, I, you know, anyone worried he's not going to sign with the Sabres, watch that interview. The guy is excited to be here. Yeah. Like, he cannot, like, his reasoning for going back to school, I fully agree with. I'm not happy, but in all honesty, that's probably the right decision. He wants to spend a year in college as the the guy. Right. He wants to deal with those that pressure, the expectations. But along with that, like, he is going to have some just stupid comparisons that he is going to have to deal with. And it's there's going to be some up and ups and downs. But I, I really like the hat he's got on him, man. He's he's just cool, relaxed, and he's having fun. Like, he clearly enjoys what he's doing. Right. And, you know, here's the thing. To your point, he's going to be one of the best goalie prospects to ever come through this organization. Um, he and some of the other prospects that we're seeing in this camp, I think we're getting a little bit more confidence that, like, okay – the three first-round picks the Sabres have this year, we didn't get to see Matthew Savoy. He's not on the ice, but the other two first-round picks are Ostland and Coolidge. And from the looks of it, those guys could be playing North American hockey this year. Oh, uh, this year. Coolidge does not look like he should have lasted to the 20th. He said he he's going to be in the NHL this year. I would bet he's at the AHL level. And because he's a European player, you don't have the same issues with age and, you know, playing year like you would if he was in the W or if he was in the Q. Like, you don't have to worry. or like And, and, and just juniors in general, those same rules don't apply. I would bet Kulich's and, and Osland are both. Now, I haven't seen as much about Osland as I've seen Kulich, but the talk of of training camp here or the, the, the talk of development camp has been Kulich. Uh, so I'm excited to sort of see – his development as we get into September, uh, when we've got some preseason and we've got the preseason um, matchup, uh, it's the tournament, right? They're going to have New Jersey. Did I see Washington's in it this year? I believe Washington. Washington yes. and Montreal. Does that sound right? That sounds yeah. That sounds right. That yeah. sounds right. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing some of these guys get up against some NHL talent. That's. That's for certain. And obviously, Devin Levi is going to be headed back to Northeastern this year to go play. We'll see what happens with Ryan Johnson. I mean, that's, that's you know, uh, what this development camp did for him and for this organization, negotiating him potentially. Listen, this as much as we would agree that there's probably not a ton of room for him on the NHL roster right now, um, you can't have enough defensemen. Obviously, the Sabres yesterday agreed to terms on a one-year $750,000 contract with um, Lawrence Pilot. To come back, he was in the KHL, I believe, for the last two years. Yep, last two years KHL. So uh, they get pilot back. So they've got they've got some depth at the blue line. They re-sign or they tender uh, J- Jacob Bryson as well. So they've they've got bodies on the blue line. But I I'm of the mind you really can't have enough of them. And I think that Rochester is going to likely need an infusion of some de- defensemen as well. So we'll see. Um, We'll see, and we're going to talk to Paul Hamilton at 12.30. He uh, he was there today at the scrimmage uh, and the three-on-three tournament, so we'll talk to him a little bit about what he saw, who stood out to him. Um, so we'll get that kind of full report coming up at 12.30. At 11.30, so our next segment, Matt Perino, New York Upstate, you know the drill. We're going to preview. This is the last Saturday before Bill's training camp officially, before people report to Bill's training camp. So um, I'm going to talk to Matt. We're going to get kind of like the last-ditch um, – preview of training camp before we get into next week and then at 12 my buddy Mike Tanier of Football Outsiders is going to join the program 
We're going to talk about his and the Football Outsiders Almanac, which will be, I believe, is already out or will be out. Um, so if you uh, listen in, we'll try to see if we can get a, a giveaway option for him and uh, have some one of these listeners get a free almanac. The, the Football Outsiders Almanac is unbelievable. It's an incredible amount of work and research that they put in every offseason to start the year. And if you're a fantasy football player, this is kind of like, the gold standard of, of of cheat sheets that you're going to want to use. So Mike Tanier joins us at 12, and again, I mentioned Paul Hamilton, 1230, and then 1 o'clock, the newest ESPN reporter. He just left the New York Daily News, uh, and he took the uh, ESPN reporting job for the Houston Texans. DJ Bienemy, he's going to join us at 1 o'clock. He's going to talk about his new gig in, Tex- uh, in Houston. Um, it's been a weird week for Houston you have been paying attention to the news they settled with 30 women i believe uh that were a part of the deshaun watson um civil suit the texans were named in a bunch of these and the texans came out and said this is not an admission of guilt but we are going to pay these women exactly what they're asking and it's simply out of respect because that's how this works apparently um so we will uh we will talk to dj at one o'clock um, so that's kind of the lineup. That's the spread. That's what we got going on today. Again, uh, excuse me for my my lack of maybe um, some energy here. I'm I'm having a tough tough time here finding a position that's comfortable for me. But I'm uh, I'm I'm bearing through. Um, oh god. So one of the things I wanted to start today's show with is talking about Bill's training camp. Now, Zach, on the nightcap last night. Congratulations, by the way, for taking over the nightcap. Couldn't happen to a greater guy. You did a lot of hard work. So I'm I'm happy for you. Happy that. Uh, that you get to uh, get, get get some good extended on air time. You deserve it. Thank you. So last night I, I I was listening and I heard you talking about training camp and some of the storylines you're kind of paying attention to and maybe some camp battles, right? And it's interesting because this team doesn't have a lot of camp battles per se. Would you say would would you say that everyone sort of just maybe looked at the pickup of Jamison Crowder and just immediately penciled him in as the starting slot number three receiver? I think a lot of people have because it was I, – I wouldn't say it was a marquee signing, but he was filling a position that last year dealt with a lot of switching around, yep. injuries, age coming into, into concern with Cole Beasley. So I think they definitely did, but then the drafting Khalil Shakir, bringing right. in Tavon Austin, re-signing Isaiah McKenzie, right. has very much put that a little bit in doubt. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's just ironclad. Like you've got, he's your number three. He's going to be in there. Listen, I mean, Cole Beasley went healthy. Cole Beasley was playing, you know, ninety, ninety-five percent of his team snaps. They play a ton of eleven personnel, and when you have three receivers on the field, your slot receiver is kind of the guy that doesn't leave. And now we know Gabriel Davis. We've got no Emmanuel Sanders this year. Gabriel Davis is locked into that other outside receiver outside of Stephon Diggs. And the question becomes, when you have a standard three receiver set. Is that third guy Crowder? I think for the most part it will be, but I I'm I'm not quite ready to and and for whatever reason we do this thing where we doubt Isaiah McKenzie. Um, we we talk about his limitations. We say all the the thing the conversations around Isaiah McKenzie are, are interesting to me, Zach, because it always feels like we're always talking about what he can't do. Very rarely do we sit down and have a conversation. Do I see tweets? Do I listen to podcasts? Do I listen to conversations with people? And very rarely are they telling me all the things that that 
that McKenzie can do. It's often, well, McKenzie can't do this, and McKenzie can't do that. So that's why McKenzie's not going to see an extended role. McKenzie, you know, he's he's got a limited route tree. He can really only play in man-to-man. He's not a great nuanced route runner in zone, and he's not going to be the guy that, that settles down and finds those zones. And maybe he's more of a trick play, a, a gadget player, somebody that you want to maybe move east and west and jet sweeps and all that stuff. And, you know, I just, I'm, I'm wondering at what point does he potentially be the guy? It, it, everyone wants to say he's this team's backup slot receiver. He's the number four, right? And I wonder, like, is there an outside, a level of outside play to him? Everyone's talking about Khalil Shakir. Could he be a guy that's drafted as kind of a pure slot receiver? But could he play outside? Can he have the ability to have that flexibility to play both outside and inside? The same conversation, I mean, we know Jamison Crowder's not that guy. Jamison Crowder's a true slot guy. He's not lining up on the outside anytime soon. I am not totally willing to close the door that Isaiah McKenzie can't play a little outside. I'm not saying he's going to be this team's you know, third option behind Gabriel Davis out outside receiver, but he might be. I mean, I think that's the thing is it, when they drafted Khalil Shakir, they really didn't answer the question of who your third outside no. wide receiver is. Because Khalil Shakir, Boise State, did a bit of both, but predominantly did a lot of his work in the slot. A lot of that, though, I'm not going to lie, I don't know how much Boise State football you watched. I watched a little bit more to actually watch Khalil Shakir highlights. That seemed to be more, we just need to get the ball to our best guy, and our quarterback play isn't necessarily the best. Right. And so they were like, all right, well then just you know have him run five-yard outs, quick slants, crossers, whatever it is, to get him the ball. And along with that, Shakir has the size, the hands, and the speed to kind of be an outside guy. But with McKenzie, I, I, I think your point is, is right. Like We hear too much about what he can't do, but right. every single season he's been here, McKenzie's at some point in every season McKenzie's been here, he has been a pop factor that seemingly yeah. gets the offense back on track. And then his, you, you know, his first year here, McKenzie takes over the role after right. the Calvin Benjamin, Andre Holmes debacle, uh, debacle experiment, whatever you want to call it. Clearly is not working. We need to change the offense to more right. what Josh can deal with. And McKenzie was like a vital role in that switch. He was an incredibly important pickup for that team. Huge. Especially knowing, right, I mean, that's Josh's rookie season. Josh is surrounded by a bunch of guys that are, you know, or as Booger McFarland said, you know, one biscuit short of a, of what, what is it? One biscuit short of a Popeye's one, meal? Yep, one Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, with Kelvin Benjamin and the guys that they were rolling out on that 2019 team, Isaiah McKenzie was a huge jolt of athleticism, of yards after catch ability. And if we're talking about yards after catch, which has been the topic of discussion from the quarterback himself, right? Josh Allen said one of the things he wants to improve on this year is is ball placement to give his wide receivers more opportunities for yards after catch. And when you're talking about yards after catch, there might not be one better player on this team than Isaiah McKenzie. He's the guy that I think can unlock it. I think it's him. But what's going to help him as well is James Cook. I think he's going to be another guy that can I think really so unlock that. But McKenzie, as we saw, I think the perfect example of that is the New England game. Yeah. Where once New England realized he was going to get the ball a lot, they still couldn't stop him. And he just right. popped off. But there were a lot of plays in there where you're, you're realizing, man, if they could have used him more, there could have been you know spots there on these crosser routes where he catches like a 10-yard crosser with just ample room to run. Yeah. This team is not fast in 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 the Kansas City sense or you know I mean what other you know fast teams are there Kansas City Kansas City Miami Miami now yeah, yeah. they're not that they are much more no. we get open in space hopefully there's room to great run great route runners yeah 
But McKenzie is the guy that can really be the, ooh, he just caught a five-yard route and there's nobody around him. Right. This could be really bad. Or, you know, the the nearest defender is three, four yards away. Bye. Yeah, as much as I loved Cole Beasley on the team, and he really did help Josh Allen. He was instrumental in the development he took, especially just taking dump-offs. Cole Beasley's biggest weakness, and why he never truly became an elite, elite slot receiver for a number of years, even with the Cowboys, he catches a five-yard out. That's it. The most he's going to get is eight yards. The Zach Ertz conundrum. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Perfect example is Zach Ertz, who, you know, for all the work he did in Philadelphia, he had a tough time getting 1,000 yards for all his catches because he caught the ball and went down. Catch, go down. Yeah. Catch, go down. And you're right. I mean, that 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 historically, that's – I think if you are excited about – I know this is why one of the reasons I'm excited about Jamison Crowder is I feel like you get a lot of the same strengths that Cole Beasley had, Right. The guy that just knows where to stop and cut off a route and and make himself available to the quarterback. He understands the nuances of route running in the NFL against zone defenses and where to find those weaknesses and how to use the leverage of linebackers, how to use the leverage of slot corners, find that space, cut off their route, and make themselves available to the quarterback. And in, in an offense with Josh Allen, who is in the 99th percentile of guys that can throw late, right? Like Josh Allen can go through his progressions, stick around, and throw back to his second read, you know, which in a lot of cases was Cole Beasley, with just a rifled in, short, you know, small window throw, because Josh has that arm strength. He's got the ability to fit a ball into a tight space, even after maybe the zone coverage opens it, and it's starting to close, but Josh gets back to that read and makes the, makes the throw, and he's one of the very few quarterbacks, him, Mahomes, Herbert, Rodgers, like, those guys can do those things. And so if you're asking me about, like, yards after catch, like, Crowder does all of those nuanced things in the zone, uh, you know, against defenses like Beasley, except he actually has the ability to turn around, make a guy miss, and get upfield. And is he going to necessarily run away from guys? I mean, the only time we've really seen that was in that Bills game, right, where Tremaine Edmonds misses the tackle and Crowder goes to the house. I think that was last year or maybe two years ago when he was with the Jets. So, and this is a guy that, you know, in his time in Washington has sort of been a reliable slot guy that has played with really crappy quarterback play. He's, this is going to be the best quarterback that, that Jamison Crowder's ever played with. So to see him potentially take a step at, and, and be a, a role on this team that, that's an elevated version of Cole Beasley, I mean, that's an exciting thing for me. And, and obviously, we talk a lot, um, we talk a lot about at least, at least with this offense, we talk a lot about the versatility that this offense has right now, right? Which is they have the ability to go 12 personnel this year with O.J. Howard, which is great. They have the ability to play 10 if they want to go four wides, five wides. They have the ability to play two running backs. They have the ability to play a running back and a fullback. Um, you know, they're going to have lots of options. And, and I was listening to this the other day, maybe it was the afternoon show, somebody talking about, those options almost maybe being a little bit of a crutch because sometimes when you have so many options and especially with a new offensive coordinator, the first thing you got to do is find out who you are and what you do really well and then build that versatility, that same play out of five different looks, right? Like you've got to kind of know who you are, what you do well, because if you're doing a bunch of things mediocre, this is not going to be an offense that can win a Super Bowl. They're going to have to do a couple of things better than anybody else and then build in that same those same sort of concepts with different looks pre-snap, with different personnel groupings. So um, they're going to have – they have the personnel to get very interesting. I mean, the, the idea that on a given play they could have Diggs – they could have Diggs, Crowder, McKenzie, 
Knox, Cook, and you know, name and uh, Reggie Gilliam on the field at the same time. I mean, that's gonna br- that's gonna be a tough a tough thing to do, a tough thing to prepare for if you're an opposing defensive coordinator trying to prepare for what these personnel groupings do and what types of plays they run out of them. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to be excited about. Especially because as much as maybe you look at this group of wide receivers, no Sanders. And I think the start of last year, I was excited about Sanders. And then the more and more I saw, the more and more I was like, okay, like let's get Gabriel Davis on the field. Yeah, I think the Sanders' first month was awesome. He came in, he was scoring touchdowns, he was, he was catching a ton of balls, and it was great. But yeah, I would probably say about midpoint of the season, definitely near the end of the season, certainly in the playoffs. I was just more frustrated he was taking reps away from Gabriel Davis. I think Davis already has an elite trait, in, and we saw in his rookie year, he has an unbelievable knowledge and foresight of where the sidelines are. Because right. I mean, that Colts game, going into halftime, he had, like, what, three sideline catches? Yeah, that, that like, were just absolutely absurd. First like, of all, what is going the, on the here? throw was absurd yes. in, all, in all three cases. But, yeah, like, his awareness around the sidelines is elite level. Like, you can sit there and go, if he's within five yards, he's going to know exactly where his feet need to be. Josh is accurate enough, has become good enough with anticipation to know where to put that ball. I think Gabriel Davis, I put it in my bold predictions article a few weeks ago, I think he can be a 14-15 touchdown guy. I think he's absolutely going to obliterate the Bills' all-time touchdown record for a season. It's only 11. Yeah, I mean, and he's always really? been, it's only 11? Who's it, Andre Reid? No. no. Um, oh, I want to say it, Bobby Brooks, Bill Brooks, I want to say. What year was that? 97. He didn't even really have a great year Who? overall. Yeah, it's... it. Um, I was around for 97. Yeah. Sneaky Joe put it up, you know, uh, maybe about a month or so ago now. It ranks 32 out of 32 teams. We have the lowest, the Buffalo Bills have the lowest all-time touchdowns in the season That's record. That's surprising It's horrible. But then, you, I, truthfully, you remember the receivers they had. Andre Reid, slot guy, not going to score a ton of touchdowns. And to be fair, even then, you know, I mean, Thurman caught a lot of passes. James Lofton was there. You go to Eric Moulds, I feel like should have had it. And something just, I mean, quarterback play probably hurt him. Lee Evans certainly hurt him with his quarterback play. But I, Gabe Davis, to me, like, I, the yards may not be there. I think Stephon Diggs is going to be much more of the yards guy. I mean, I've, as we've seen, he's easily getting over 1,000 yards in his, you know, two seasons with the Bills. But Gabe Davis had seven touchdowns his first year, six his, his sophomore campaign last year. And both times you're sitting there realizing, like, you know, his rookie year, of course, he's, he's fighting for reps with a ton of guys. And then his second year, he you know he had to be stuck behind Sanders for a lot of the year, right? So I mean he's he's going to come into his third year finally. You're you're clearly going to be, you know, the Robin to Stephon Diggs's Batman. You know though, and and I'm glad you brought up Stephon Diggs because I I know that there was probably let's see targets. So last year, there was a sense to me that the Bills weren't throwing the ball as much to Stephon Diggs. It did have that feeling, especially the Jacksonville game, I think, is when it became kind of almost obvious to a lot he of people. He had two less targets. Mm-hmm. He did. It's almost the exact. Now, there's an extra game, so that targets per game are going to be down because of that. Um, but he goes from having 127 to 103 catches last year in 1,500 yards but more touchdowns. He had eight touchdowns in 2020, 10 in 2021. But going from 15 to 1,200 and 127 to 103, 
I know we're talking. We've it's been in vogue to talk about Gabe Davis and what he's going to bring because of the, the last game we remember is Gabe Davis having the most incredible playoff performance in NFL history. It, it's the best playoff performance by a wide receiver, I would say, easily, especially the moment and the constant. Like, I mean, he scored what two huge touchdowns to basically either keep the Bills in the game right. or to take the lead. I mean, he was exceptional that entire game. I think the thing with Diggs, though, and I think we saw it in his first year. We did not see it much in the second year with the Bills. They've got to take more deep shots with yes. him. Yes. He, he is one of the best deep ball receivers in football. In contested catch, getting open, whatever. 25-plus yards, Stephon Diggs is elite. Gabe Davis, I think they want to be their deep ball guy. But with how many slot receivers you have or slot options you have, you can send both those guys deep a lot of the time. And I think not taking advantage – that was the one thing Diggs did better in Minnesota than he does in Buffalo was it was the deep shots. Well, and you got to remember, big play guy Kirk there. Cousins, for all of the things you say about Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins is one of the most accurate deep ball throwers in football. And it's one of the easiest catchable balls. The thing is, the thing that I found most interesting, and this probably is more of a defensive stat than anything else, but quarterback rating, QB rating, passer rating when targeting Diggs. 2020, 115. Last year? 90. I mean, that's that's a noticeable jump. It's a noticeable drop-off. And I think it's because he saw a lot, way more double coverage. And that's why Gabriel Davis' ascension, I think in that game, the Kansas City Chiefs' objection, objective in that game, that playoff game, the division round, Stephon Diggs ain't beating us. And little do they know, Gabriel Davis is equally as capable of beating you, and almost did. I think... Allowing Gabe Davis to go off in that game, number one, I think the Chiefs did that because they just did not have enough tape on Davis thinking, well, if Diggs is down, he can beat us. Right. Which clearly the game showed, oh, yes, can oh happen. no, he can do he that. He can. But I think to the point as well, as much as fans' last impression of Gabe Davis is, oh my God, he can be a star. Right. Teams are going to have that same response too of, you li- we cannot pull what the Chiefs did because if we do, he'll beat us. He'll he's score going four to touchdowns. kill us. And that's why to me... The idea of Stephon Diggs having a – I don't want to stop short of saying bounce-back season because it's not like he had a down season. He just had a down season compared to having his best career ever, our best career season ever. Um, we're going to talk about this with Matt Perino. So let's take a timeout on the other side, New York, ups, uh, New York Upstates, Syracuse.com, Shout Podcast. Matt Perino is going to join us. We're going to talk about this Diggs-Davis collaboration that we'll see come Sundays here very soon here on WGR. All right, y'all, welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday. Hitting up our first guest of the day, Matt Perino, New York Upstate, joining me on the Western Hotline. Matt, uh, happy belated birthday to you. Well, actually, is your birthday coming up? Because you're, I was chatting with your wife. I was going to try to make it to Brightsmith the other night, but I had a wedding and I, I couldn't get it coordinated right. But she told me that you were doing like some early birthday stuff. When is your birthday exactly? Yeah, I'm 39 for eh, about another month. Uh, but once bill season kicks off, yeah, right. That's it. Next week, it's that's it. It was impossible to schedule something, and then there's actually a preseason game on my birthday. So my wife uh, threw threw a big time uh, twelve to six curveball and had a surprise party for me the other day. So that was honestly that's probably the only way she could have pulled off a surprise of that magnitude. So it worked out. Yeah, great lady you got over there. Uh, you know you've uh, you're you're swinging above your weight class, buddy. So uh, I, I know that you know that, but I just figured I'd remind you. Um, but hey, pleasure to have you on. Thanks as always for making time for me on your Saturday uh, your Saturday mornings. Um, 
we, uh, Zach and I, were just chatting about, Matt, uh, the Diggs and Davis connection that's going to be happening this year. And there's a lot of expectations that Gabriel Davis is going to take that jump to be one of the elite number two wide receivers in the league. And these two are going to form, you know, maybe the best or one of the best duos of, of outside receivers in football. And part of the conversation evolved for us, Matt, into talking about Diggs's role, because, you know, for all intents and purposes, you look at 2020 versus 2021, you know, target wise, he had two less targets in one more game last year, right? But at the same time, Matt, he goes from having 127 catches in 2020 to 103 last year. He drops almost 300 full yards in in yardage over the course of his season. Now, 2020 was a career year for Diggs, Matt. But are you expecting now that defenses aren't going to just cue on Stephon Diggs that maybe we see those numbers creep back to those 2020 numbers, 127 for 1535 and, and eight touchdowns? Like, are, are we maybe going to see more of Stephon Diggs this year because Gabriel Davis is a more or, um, I think, respected player across the league on what defenses are going to have to do? Yeah, I think I think it's probably twofold for Diggs having a little bit more success consistently this year. Number one, Gabriel Davis being now entrenched and, in my opinion, an upgrade over Emmanuel Sanders, who even at, you know, at certain points last year, probably through the first 10 to 12 weeks of the season, no matter what Gabriel Davis did, he couldn't really get Sanders off the field unless he was hurt. And rightfully so. I mean, the guy's a Super Bowl champion, a guy that comes in the locker room. Everybody's got a lot of respect for him. But it probably should have just been Davis's job last year. I thought he showed enough as a rookie and something that we talked about at this time last year. Like, is, is Gabriel Davis going to be that number two? Is it going to be Emmanuel Sanders? Well, you know, they just they were waiting to get Emmanuel Sanders into the room, and that's how it kind of went about. But talking to Gabriel Davis during uh, minicamp was interesting. When, when the topics turned to – Ken Dorsey, his eyes lit up a little bit and asked about his impressions of him. He was like aggressive in the passing game. The guy is going to put pressure on the defense. He's going to let us go out there and attack, attack, attack. And I think that that's going to marry itself to the other part of this new identity under, uh, under Ken Dorsey and more so Aaron Cromer in that I think they're going to be a little bit more physical running team when they do decide to run the football. So if teams are a little bit more worried about stopping Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, and James Cook, then it takes some of that pressure off Stephon Diggs week in and week out. You remember, Nate, last year through 10 weeks of the season, that, that running game was invisible. So if they all of a sudden now have that part of their game where teams have to game plan for it, uh, Roger Saffold's in the mix now. Yep. Maybe they could be a little bit more of a run-oriented team at times, take some pressure off Josh Allen, the runner, as well. I think that that could do a little bit of that as well. And then you know, Stephon Diggs, just just get him the ball. He usually makes something happen with it. Yeah, and Zach and I were t- kind of talking about where Stephon Diggs, you're talking about Gabriel Davis talking about how Ken Dorsey's going to apply that pressure to defenses. And part of our conversation was like, you know, I think last year part of the reason we saw Diggs's efficiency go down was the areas of the field they were targeting him. And, and I thought in his first season in Buffalo – his downfield prowess, his ability, first of all, it had always been elite. That had been the thing about Diggs is his elite downfield prowess and what he was capable of doing down the field was one of the best in the league. And we saw maybe less of that last year. And I think we saw more of him being a yards after catch guy, having to take something on a short route and turn it upfield. And although that's where he can get the volume of targets, 
I'm wondering, you know, how this how does Ken Dorsey try to deploy Stefan Diggs further down the field and getting that like I saw a really good stat from last year to 2020 to 2021. It's total yards traveled in the air before before the ball was caught. And in 2020, it was the highest of his career, over 1000 yards traveled before the before the ball was caught, which is borderline insane. Um and then you go from there to 2021 and he takes almost a 200-yard drop from 1071 to 899. And I think that's a really good interpretation or a good illustration, Matt, of the difference of how he was used in year to year. But that's the same offensive coordinator, Matt. Like That just sort of to- shows you, though, the evolution of an NFL offense from year to year. It's never the same. And I'm, I'm thinking that this is going to be one of those years because it is a new offensive coordinator, same terminology, same system but a different ideology from the offensive coordinator. And I wonder if that maybe trickles down to seeing more downfield stuff from Stephon Diggs than we saw last year. Well, teams were scared of them and the Chiefs last year. And I think that that's what kind of brought out the shift in defense where teams were playing that two-deep look that, that took away the downfield part, or the, that part of the field. And I think Stephon Diggs wasn't able to eat as much as he did the year before. And part of it, too, was like it was just a newer – it was a newer uh, weapon in, in a new offense in 2020, and I think teams took a while to figure out how to defend it. And I was actually a little bit surprised that Diggs wasn't a little bit more effective after the catch um, just because watching him in practice and seeing what he did in Minnesota, he is really tough to deal with. Um, but I think the physicality of the game, that's tough over the course of a long season to sustain that. So, yeah, that's going to be on Ken Dorsey to figure it out. And you look around their offense, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a report from um, Doug uh, Kide out of PFF the other day that uh, Gabriel Davis has put on, I think, close to 20 pounds of muscle. Uh, or 20 pounds, how much of that is muscle, I don't know. But he's going to be a much bigger physical player. And I wonder if that is the Bills going to him and saying, listen, you're going to be our possession guy. You know, we want to start hitting digs down the field. You're going to have the ball in your hands in that short to intermediate range, and you're going to need to make something happen with it after the catch. Not that he wasn't doing that already, but maybe doing that, you know, doing the work in the offseason to prepare your body for the week-in, week-out grind of that style, uh, that's maybe something that was a directive. We'll find out from Davis when we talk to him when training camp over. Yeah, and you know, Matt, I think it's a great point, like a directive, because I'm of the mind that you aren't, cutting or gaining weight on in, in this organization unless there's a plan from the top. And the only other guy that's really kind of gone against that is Star Latule over the last two years, who had been kind of habitually cutting weight at a position that I'm I'm pretty sure they didn't want a guy cutting weight at it. And that had sort of been one of the talking points of last training camp was Star Latule coming into camp lighter than he had the previous year. So like if Gabe Davis is gaining 15, 20 pounds in an offseason it's because the offseason program wanted him to do that. Yeah, it's funny you bring up Star Latule. Just thinking back to his tenure, I don't know if there was a guy that has been treated better in the league, like getting paid the way that he got paid, um, and just went, flew in the face of that treatment at every step of the way. I mean, the opt-out and the comeback, not be vaccinated, that whole ordeal, the weight issue, and yep. just – never really living up to what I think that they wanted him to be. And um, I also thought it was interesting, not to switch gears totally on you here, but listening to Eric Wood on the Boston with the Boys podcast a few mm-hmm. weeks ago talk about, you know, they went out and it was a directive to get tough, tougher on the both sides of the line. And on the defensive line, I mean, that's literally what they added in Daquan Jones and Tate right. Settle. And then you, 
you throw Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips into the mix, they're going to be a much tougher team. So, yeah, that's a good point about the directive. Yeah, and, you know, listen, I, I think it's also important for people that are like, oh, man, you know, Gabriel, Gabriel Davis is coming in overweight or he's coming in too big. He can't play at that size or he's going to be stiff or you don't want to gain too much muscle mass uh, at the wide receiver position because you lose that fluidity in and out of routes. And it's like, first of all, that is not going to be his playing weight come September 6th or whatever, you know, whenever the, their, their opener against the Rams are. You've got to imagine when, when these guys get to training camp, they're going to lose four to seven pounds within the first couple of weeks of training camp. His playing weight will probably be about 10 to 12 pounds heavier than it was last year. But this is a guy, Matt, that's going to be relied on more than he was last year as a run blocker, too. And I think that's something to think about because he's going to be on the field more now with no Emmanuel Sanders in front of him. And he's going to be relied upon and asked to be a primary run blocker in an offense that has yet to really find its way on the ground, at least in the Sean McDermott era, since LeSean McCoy has left. So I think part of this is, of course, a lot of it is, you know, hey, we want you to bulk up. You're going to be a possession receiver. But also, we're going to be relying on you to be maybe our most responsible and go-to wide receiver blocking in the run game as well. Yeah, and I and I also wonder what that means if that's the case for maybe a fringe guy like Jay Kumaro, who if you look at him, obviously he has the special teams acumen and how important he is on teams has probably led to why he's, you know, made the team the last two years. But he's also one of their best wide receivers in, in the blocking game. And so if that's an area where you can get more production out of Gabriel Davis, I've already think I already think he's been a pretty solid uh run blocker already. But Maybe you want to keep Isaiah McKenzie and Jameson Crowder and Khalil Shakir, the rookie. And maybe there's just not – maybe you want to keep Marquez Stevenson because you think he can return kicks or you could think he, you think he can add an element to that deep, deep uh, passing game. Then you can kind of move on from a guy like Jay Kumro as much as you like him and as much as he means something in the, in, in, in the special teams unit. But we'll see. I mean, man, I recently did a, a five players on the bubble list and then I also did a 53-man roster projection recently, and it's amazing, Nate. Like, there's probably, like, 47 to 49 spots that you're, like, writing in pen right now. And the, the, the roster battles are, are – they're invisible. Like, I don't even know, I don't even know <laughs> right. what the real roster battle is when you look up and down this thing. I mean, there's going to be a few fringe guys – that are, are going to be fighting it out. But, man, it's going to be a very interesting camp from that perspective. Matt Perino here on New York Up, of New York Upstate on our Western Hotline. We're previewing Bill's training camp, talking a lot about the receivers. And one of the areas, and obviously you and I have talked about the running back position, how that battle potentially plays out. And the, it's the other side of the ball that I think I find most interesting, uh, Matt. And it's, you know, the, I think the linebacker position at the top two is, is obviously settled. It's, it's, it's firmed. It's set in stone. It's set in cement. Um, you know, the, the third guy, I think there's a rotating door there. But you were talking about the defensive line and thinking about the rotation in the middle um, and the versatility that they're going to have. I, I think I'm more excited about what the additions of Tim Settle and Daquan Jones have. F- I, l- listen, I'm, I'm as equally as excited as I am for what they potentially do to the game of Tremaine Edmonds and finally having a guy up front in the run game that's a two-gap defender that can sort of keep him a little bit cleaner, a little bit longer. But for me, the thing I'm thinking about and, and maybe most excited about, Matt, is what this does to free up Ed Oliver in the middle. Because this is the first time in his NFL career he's going to have a two-gap defender, whether it's Tim Settle, whether it's Daquan Jones to the left or the right of him, 
and can actually hold his own in there. And, and that, you know, I want to maybe shy away from like sounding like I'm taking a shot at Star Latulale, but you were talking about the inconsistencies of not being able to be available and on the field for them. And when he was, he wasn't that same road grading, he's going to take on double teams kind of guy. And I think a lot of that fell to Ed Oliver. So knowing that he really took that step in the second half of last season. What are your expectations for for Ed Oliver going into year four this year? And and I think it's an important year for him, uh, Matt, because this is a guy who's got his fifth year option already opted in, so he's all good there. But this is kind of going to be the offseason after this year where the Bills may look to lock him up long term. And if he has the type of season he's capable of having, the one that maybe he flashed us at the end of last year, man, what Settle and Jones could potentially do to free him up, he could be one of the higher paid interior defensive linemen in all of football. Yeah, this is a great conversation to have because I think that, like, what they did in the offseason, it, it impacts so many different guys. But to your point, I, I don't know if Ed Oliver isn't the one that's impacted the most. And, like, so let's start with taking Von Miller out of the, the equation and just talk about what they did on the interior. If they just were rolling the ball out with, the, with their defensive line, maybe with Jerry Hughes back and not Von, Von Miller, I would think that Ed Oliver was primed for a, a huge breakout season in terms of – production and that's i think that next stage right for him he needs to start getting to the quarterback fishing there that's what they drafted him to be in the top 10 in 2019 but now you talk about adding von miller and that changes so much because they did the work on the interior and oh by the way we didn't even mention it jordan phillips i right. thought Ed oliver at times late in 19 looked like the best version of himself as a pass rusher alongside jordan phillips and phillips mentioned it during uh, minicamp but now with Von Miller there, not only are you going to get a chance to be always, no matter what, when you're on the field with Von, you are the number two primary target for that offensive line or that offensive game plan. But you're also able to kind of tap in to that wealth of knowledge. Von Miller just finished playing, what was it, 14 games with the greatest interior defensive right. lineman of right. all time? You don't think they're going to sit down and break down that tape and Von Miller's going to kind of teach Ed Oliver, teach him up a little bit on what what, did, what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong, and how he can improve. And this is the guy, um, Aaron Donald, that Oliver was compared to when he was getting drafted, a little bit right. undersized. He's never really fit into that, that actual mold. But there's so many intriguing things. And you mentioned Tremaine Edmonds. The thing about Edmonds, and I've been kind of banging this drum for the last three months, is what do you do now? Because you're you're going into the season. I don't foresee them extending him before the season. They're probably no. going to play this out, right? Yep. What happens if because of all the work they did up front, yep. <laughs> he goes and absolutely explodes? 140 tackles, six picks, six sacks. Right, has an all pro season. Yeah. Yes. Then you're stuck with now. Not not only do you have to pay Ed Oliver, but you you got to think about paying Tremaine Edmonds, and you can't pay them all. And that's no. We might be in a situation where they pay Jordan Poyer here in the next couple of weeks. We'll see how that goes. There's a, at some point you're going to have to cut it off. Yeah, and that that's that was kind of my final. Uh, you're you're good, Matt. It's it's like you do professional podcasting and you're a professional writer because my next question and final question for you for the day was the Jordan Poyer situation. How do you see? What do you see as being the resolution for this? Um, for this situation between the Bills and Jordan Poor, because it's one of the friendliest Mexican standoffs I've ever seen. They've got guns pointed out of their holsters, but they're water guns, right? Like, it's friendly. They're kind of both looking at each other saying, like, I really love you. Well, I love you, man. Like, you're great, and I love this organization, but, like, you know, I do need to get a little bit paid. It's like, okay, you know, like, it just seems like, although... Poyer is standing on his ground with Drew Rosenhaus saying, we believe we, we're worth this, 
this isn't the Jesse Bay situation. He's not sitting out. He's not going to miss training camp time. Um, how do you see, what is the ultimate resolution here? And maybe I'll ask you this in twofold. What do you think is going to happen? And what do you, what would you like to see happen? And are they the same thing? That's a great question. Uh, I'm going to take you back to Sean McDermott's comments shortly after the Micah Hyde softball game. He said, business is business, but business usually takes care of itself in this department. And he said he had a great conversation with Jordan Poyer. And ever since then, to your point, it has been very, very uh, happy on both sides of this equation. Both sides speak highly of each other. Let's, let's be honest, Nate. Poyer's one of their guys. He's one of the reasons that this thing has been built the way that it's been built. So I think in the end, he is going to get more money. How that actually transpires, does it end up being this max extension for a safety? I don't foresee that happening just because of all the work they still need to do. But um, it's a great question. I go back and forth on it. Every, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know what? Put, put together a three-year extension. Figure it out to where maybe you can get out of it in two years, but get him that guaranteed money up front. That probably works out a lot of problems. But at the same time, you know, maybe that doesn't fit into the, the, the cap figure that you need it to fit into to get it done. And that's probably why we're sitting here. And listen, this is going to be a big week. A lot of the deals that happen, you know, in these kinds of situations happen right before or right after training camp starts. So right. it's probably going to pick up in that department. But I just think that they need to get something done with him. I don't, I don't foresee an ending to this where, you know, they just say, they throw their hands up and say, we can't figure something out. We trade them. They trade them or, um, you know, he, 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 he requests a trade. I mean, he's, he's going to be a guy that shows up. And once the football starts, that's it. It's going to be all eyes on the prize. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. And that's, listen, Porter's a professional. You know, I've sort of been on the side that I don't think he can pay everyone. And you're right. How, this is not going to be a mega extension. And it's going to be whether or not he's comfortable taking, you know, an extra year or maybe two years with avoidable year, and they can figure out a way to give you more money right now, convert it to a signing bonus the next year, and and, and maintain the cap flexibility they're going to need to sign Dawson Knox to sign uh, at Oliver here in the future. And, yeah, it's – listen, this is a jigsaw puzzle, and I, I am not envious of the position that Brandon Bean is in, but he has found ways to this point thus far in his career to make things work. This is going to be his hardest test yet. Matt – Thank you so much, my friend, as always. Uh, I'll see you in a week, man. I'm really excited. I'll see you out at training camp, see you out on the field uh, next Sunday, and uh, I'm sure we'll be doing more chatting over the next couple weeks, buddy. My man. Thanks Thanks for having me on, buddy. Awesome. Matt Perino there on the Western Hotline. Going to take a timeout on the other side. I'm going to preview Hour 2 coming your way at the 12 o'clock hour. we got Mike Tanier at noon. At 1230, we'll have Paul Hamilton live from Harbor Center to update us on today's action in developmental camp, the final day of Sabres Development Camp. So that's all coming up next year on WGR. All right, this is one of those segments where I just throw out the door. Uh, we've got our next guest, Mike Tanier, is going to join us. The Football Outsiders Almanac coming your way. Uh, so I've got Tanier. He's joining us next. Then at 12.30, Paul Hamilton is going to join me live from Harbor Center. So we got a lot to get to, so I'm going to take another time out. On the other side, we've got a full jam-packed hour two coming your way here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR.